Hello, and welcome to the Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. We're committed to creating a thriving community of accounting professionals who are physically and mentally healthy, fulfilled, and energized by their work. Our ultimate goal is to elevate the reputation of the accounting profession and vastly improve the lives of those in it. The Unique CPA is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Justin Korth. Justin is a tax director at Lutz out of Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, He's working in the tax department, and in addition, he oversees their International Workforce Initiative. Um, that's a mouthful. I'd rather just say outsourcing or offshoring. So, But we'll go with International uh, Workforce Initiative. Uh, Justin, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thanks, Randy, and good morning. Yeah, good morning. We are morning, right? I am morning. You're, you might not be morning anymore, are you? A minutes after, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm West Coast. You're your Central Time Zone. So, I know you work in the tax department, and and actually, you and I talked months ago. You actually were overseeing the ERC program for the firm as well. Deal with a lot of you know different things tax wise, but the thing we want to talk about today, or we can go any direction we want, really. But but what I wanted to talk about today was the the outsourcing the offshoring of services and and so from a firm standpoint is this a new initiative or how long have you been how long have you, has this been implemented the uh, the offshoring yeah so let's uh, we, we really came to realization of labor shortage and everything happening right in that covid time frame so the wheels really started going on our outsourced accounting or our outsourced package over in India starting in the summer of 2021. And then we officially onboarded our team um, in the fall of 2021. So we're about 15 months in now going into our second busy season with our with our team in India. Okay, so that's I thought it was fairly new. It's kind of interesting. We, you and I might want to talk about, you know, following this up a year from now and just seeing how the second tech season went because I think this is a, an important topic. I've been wanting to talk to a firm specifically. I've I've interviewed companies that do this on the podcast, but I have never talked to somebody who is implementing in the firm and I like the fact that we're at the beginning of this. So you mentioned it was it was COVID time where we we you started analyzing this. What caused it? Obviously, work uh, employee shortages. I'm sure was it talked about for years, or was it just kind of hey, 21, let's talk about boom, let's implement it. How did the whole process go? So we we've always kind of known about offshoring. However, it was a foreign topic to a lot of people, and and I think that's similar in the public accounting industry where we always thought that everybody has to be physically in the office. But with COVID, I think everybody got a little bit more comfortable with logging onto Teams or Zoom and having those remote conversations. So COVID definitely sped up the process, but COVID was also a huge component to the need that we saw. Um, public accounting, obviously, there's there's a lot of peaks. Um, there's valleys also in the summertime where we get some time off, mm-hmm. but the, the peaks are, are the issue. And It not only is um, a decrease in accounting graduates coming out of college, but also retention. Mm -hmm. Um, People that we bring in, that we get in front of clients and stuff, we need to keep them around for the longevity of of the process. And that's that's the ultimate goal of LUTs in this offshoring initiative is to lessen the load on our people, retain people. It's not primarily a cost-saving initiative, even though a lot of people think that you can outsource and you can save a lot of money. That that's a component of it, but our primary focus is how do we make the people's lives easier here in the office as well as serving our clients effectively. 
So when we're looking at that uh, from making it easier, and I love that, you know, to digress for a second, I think we're in a crisis mode in Pumpkin County right now with the lack of people going in. You mentioned it from, a, you know, going into accounting degrees in college and then the retention you also mentioned. And so I think that's important the way you're looking at this. When then we are looking at the, I'm going to use outsourcing and offshore and probably interchangeable. Um, I probably use end up using both. And so when we're looking at the outsourcing, are there specific services? Do we break it down to, hey, here's the, you know, maybe the lower level tasks that, you know, data entry and this kind of stuff, or or the services start to finish? Are they taking one ten forty and go and start to stop? How how do you determine what services do go to the offshoring outsourcing? Yeah, great question. I'm going to back up just a little bit and first talk about the two different models out there for offshoring or outsourcing, and one is you send work over to call it India on a per return basis. Um, so you, you contract them simply for busy season. They get the returns done. They send it back to you. Great. And then there's a dedicated service model and that's what we use. Okay. I view the dedicated service model as a better long-term solution. You're not just putting a bandaid on things, but you're kind of going all in and saying, this is an extension of our team. We're going to dedicate the time and resources to training and developing and giving feedback so that we keep these people for an extended period of time. Um, so, so to your question of um, how do we use these folks or how do we use them out of the gate, we also wanted to see them as an extension of our team in Omaha or in Nebraska. So they are preparers on jobs. And we essentially rank all of our tax returns on a level of difficulty so obviously, we're going to start them out on the easier ones and build them up, but they're clearly preparing a return from start to finish. Start to finish. So so then from that standpoint, I mean, the benefit isn't just supporting the Omaha Lutz employee, or I know you have multiple offices, but let's go with Omaha Lutz employee on a specific project. It's just that they're freed up now to do other things as well. Do you try to, and I'm just curious, do you try to have the more you know, maybe higher end advisory type work stay with your Omaha employees or is there just a, a it's just this is one based on a rating we can offshore and let's do it? Yeah. So how we started off was on our core tax tests. So in busy season number one, they were doing 1065s, 1120 S's, 1040 returns primarily. And then in the summer months, we started to cross train them in our audit practice because at least in our firm, we see a high peak in the number of hours and tasks happening during tax season in our tax department. But as we flip the script to the summertime, our audit practice gets really busy with benefit plans. Um, so we actually saw some synergies of cross-training and being able to use them for an extended period of time. Again, going back to why we chose the dedicated service model. But we've been very, very clear with our relationship people and our clients that that advisory and client service aspect will always reside in our U.S. offices and with our U.S. people. Okay. Um, none of our Indian employees can actually email or call any of our clients. Okay, that was a question I had. So that from a communication standpoint, so then they're still communicating through whoever probably is in charge of that client or supporting that client, I assume. So yep. if there is a question on a tax preparation, that still goes through the the office in the U.S. That That's correct, yep. Okay. Now, does that is that sometimes do firms 
actually allow the outsource company to directly contact the client? And, and if so, why did you guys choose not to? Um, yes. So when we were onboarding or starting this process, we spoke to several different firms and every firm does it a little bit different. So I would say there are firms out there that have their offshore outsource team call their clients for them. We wanted to take the approach that notifying our clients early and often that this, again, is, is an extension of our firm, that the whole reason that we're going offshore is to find the resources available to do it. But we are still client service providers. And the most important thing to that client is client service. And that needs to reside with the people that they're comfortable communicating with. So it was very clear early on that we were not going to have those folks communicating directly with their clients. Okay. And then from that standpoint as well, I mean, just timing issues would be an issue if they were communicating with clients, unless they're working overnight. How about the communication with the U.S.-based lead of that client? How does that communication work? Yeah. So early on, we obviously had to get our partners, directors of our firm on board with this initiative. Um, So we came out and and sold them on the facts of over a five-year run, we're going to see a reduction in hours of of our working hours. We're going to see an increase or um, more efficiency and faster turn time on projects so that we can get it to the clients faster. Now, your job as a relationship person is one, to get the consent or disclosure signed from the client. But two, it's just to, to treat this as you would a normal U.S. employee. So if you're getting a question from them, you're responding to them timely within 24 hours so we can keep that process moving. Um, now, a little bit more on the communication side of things. A lot of folks are probably wondering, can you understand people overseas? Right. Um, what, what's the barrier there? And in India, they have a huge British influence going back hundreds of years. So in their schools, they are taught British English. So written English, I would say, is very, very good. And as you talk to them more, you're going to get comfortable with their accents, dialects, et cetera, where I don't have an issue anymore. Some new folks to the game probably do, but it it just takes time. Yeah, it's a, I'm laughing because uh, anytime my wife and I are overseas or somewhere, uh, anywhere with an accent, even watching TV, she has to have the the, um, subtitles on. So I'm usually, if we're overseas somewhere, I'm uh, I'm interpreting, even though we're all speaking English for us. So I can understand that. When when we first uh, went over there for our first trip in December of 21, um, they started saying, I have a doubt, I have a doubt. And Taylor on our team was like, are they doubting me? Like, I, I don't know what's happening here. I'm like, no, no, no. I think it's just a different word for question. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have confidence in you. Huh? All right, nice. I have a doubt. There, there's some of that terminology that comes up from time to time where we're not British, so we don't know all the terms. Right. That's true. Um, let's go to two things that you've said so far that I want to back up to a little bit. One, you have this dedicated team, meaning that, I mean, I assume they're not LUTs employees. And if so, what is that relationship then? You're correct. So they are not LUTs employees. We contract with a firm in India that actually does all the HR components, and they are employees of that service provider. Um, but they are our full-time responsibility. So we control the workflow and everything else like we would a normal staff. We just have offloaded all of the HR elements, and that does not give us presence in India from a LUTs perspective. Okay, which I assume is important from yes. tax situations? 
Yes. Very, very, very important. Um, yeah, you, you start getting into foreign disclosures and things like that, foreign bank accounts. We don't want to have anything to do with that. Okay, that makes sense to me. And then and then another thing that you mentioned when we're talking is that the the US-based lead for that client is making sure that the uh, I think you said agreement or or disclosures are signed. What is the process? You know, you have to get buy-in from the client that do they have to you know, and sign off that yes, I understand you are outshoring some of this and I'm okay with that. How's that process? Yeah, and this is probably one of the very first hurdles that you got to get over is, is selling the message to your firm, um, getting the partners on board so that they can in turn then educate their clients or get that consent signed from the client. So the IRS has specific terminology that must be used for a Form 1040 individual tax return that has a slew of language, but at the end of the day, it says your information may be transmitted outside the United States, which includes your social security number, et cetera. That form cannot be altered, and it has to have a physical signature or an electronic signature by the client. Um, our original consents for 1040s lasted 10 years, so we're good, I think, until 2030. So it's not something that you got to get every single year, but there is a form that you have to get back before you can ever transmit any information overseas. On business tax returns or any other tasks, it simply just needs to be listed in the engagement letter and the engagement letter has to be signed by the client. Okay, so there is disclosure. They understand that this is, again, an extension of your team and that they just happen to be offshore. Yep. I know some clients probably will have a safety concern, you know, and I assume that came up when you were started to, to tell people about how you were handling this. How did you handle that with clients? Um, we had a team of about five individuals who really led the effort to collecting all the information and, and selling that to the office at the beginning. And as a part of that, we developed a two-page Q&A document of frequently asked questions that we attached to the consents so that all of our relationship people had the same message so that when they were asked questions, they could just provide the document to clients. So we were saying the same thing across the board. It's pretty impossible to educate 50 folks on the intricacies of the security protocols and everything that's in place. But I would say the number one question that we got from more sophisticated clients was around security and security of their personal information. So yes, it was a common question, but through my experience with the firm that we use and conversations with anybody else, we've never had a breach, nor do I think that's much of a concern given dual factor authentication and, and encryption and all of that. Yep. Did you have anybody, I guess, opt out? Sorry, I do not want this to happen. Oh, yes. Um, and, and, and that's really, it's the message that you lead with with clients, I think is important. So at the end of the day, it took us about one year to contact all of our clients and ask them the question of yes or no. And at the end of the day, we had consent rate of about 75%, okay. which we were comfortable with. What we've heard from other firms is between 70 and 80% is typical. Okay. Um, but that message that you're that you're putting out to your clients is very important. You, you don't want to lead and say, hey, we have this team in India and we're going to send your information over there. Are you okay with that? Probably not going to respond well. Mm -hmm. But if you say, hey, we're trying to keep up with client service, the amount of accounting grads is down and we have an extension of our team overseas and your information may be shared with them to help in the prep process. The same message, but different wording helps. Right. Okay. And so, so, so three quarters do 
are opting in. And did you communicate this to all your clients or were there just specific clients? All clients were informed. Correct. Yep. We informed everyone. Okay. And is everybody that the 75% that opted in, are all 75% being outsourced at some level? No. So our process works on a global basis across our firm. So for the most part, all of our returns go through a pooling process and we just turn certain individual employees on or off of the pools. So it's a matter of workflow if that return is actually going to get prepared overseas or not. Okay, so it's just what's next. And if it, the India group is next to grab a return and that happens to be it, then they grab it. If somebody internally in the U.S. office grabs it, okay. Yep, that's correct. It, it, it's all a matter of FIFO in our system. All right, got it. Makes sense. I mean, this is this is great information. This is why I'm so excited to, to do this interview with you. We talked about this months ago, and we postponed a few times. And I'm glad we got it done today. So, so let's let's continue on that. And and is there like a list of top things that you would recommend that a firm look into or do if they're considering outsourcing? Yeah, absolutely. And especially if you're thinking about the dedicated service model, you want to think about this in a five-year perspective. Like, what are the things I need to be thinking about so that I'm setting myself up for long-term success? Again, not just a band-aid to, to cover up one busy season. And the, the number one thing you got to think about is the, the team that you're developing in the United States to support these individuals. Training is a very, very important piece when you're involving people of different backgrounds or cultures and trying to get them onto the same structure and processes that you're on. So at LUTs, we've, we've kind of structured it that each department that's using our offshore team has a champion, as we call it. So the audit department, the tax department, our client accounting service, each has an individual leader who's in charge of the training and development of the team members underneath them. And we have actually reduced the charge hours and changed the job description of that individual so that they are prioritizing um, their interactions with India. I've heard from some other firms where it's like, okay, we, we started training them and then we spit them onto the workflow and it's not working. Well, you've got to continually support the process, much like you got to do with normal employees here. So developing that team and making it very clear that that individual is going to do less charge work and less client work, but that's a benefit is critical at the beginning. So from that standpoint, have you done, let's say, track KPIs or something and shown that, hey, we've been, we can show that we are more profitable or, you know, less hours going into higher revenue or, or anything like that that you could show from a straight benefit standpoint? Yeah. So in our busy season of 2022, which was a year ago, we tracked the turn time of returns that were prepared by India employees versus those prepared by U.S. employees. And we tracked on average that a return would go out the door three to four days sooner if it was prepared by an individual on our international workforce. And really that comes down to, they work different hours than us. So their crossover time is usually in our morning, but they're working through the night. So as things stop here, they keep moving over there, um, which is a really, really nice added feature as well. So yes, the, the major KPI is turn time and are we delivering stuff faster to our clients. And that was proven, yes, that's the case. Okay. All right. So that was one of the, or is there five key things that you identify or, yeah. All right. So what's next then? The the next thing that obviously isn't an overnight success is the amount of hours that our U.S. employees are working. Our whole goal with 
offshoring is to reduce the peaks and flatten them out. And I would say we couldn't quite track that last year in year one. Was that a success or not? There was a lot of other components in there as well with COVID programs and et cetera. But this year, um, we're probably three weeks into tax season and we haven't had one of our interns yet pull a return from the pools because we've been focusing on training them up. And we've had already 200 tax returns go through India. So we are leaps and bounds ahead of where we were last year. And I expect that now to start reducing the amount of hours that our folks are working. All right. That's a great benefit as well. Yeah. All right. And then three, four, five, you just keep going with what are the key things? So on the training side of things, and this is kind of moving off of the KPIs, but furthering on the training element is um, getting it down, broken down to a way that they can understand. Um, when you're working with folks in India, their culture says that they need to be told what to do, that they need to be told step by step what, what the next thing is. There's probably less problem solving happening with our team in India. So we actually broke down each type of task into a manual and we provided screenshots along the way so that if there's a point in time when we aren't working with them or we can't actively support them, that they have a resource to go to in the source of a manual that essentially tells them step-by-step screenshots of what to do next. So I think that type of thinking ahead has helped us to, to not have stalled time when we're not actually crossing over with them. All right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, uh, having that uh, the go-to manual, especially when they're working at two in the morning. And, yep. and uh, hopefully everybody here is sleeping at that point. <laughs> exactly. All right. Nice benefit then, or a nice forethought. Did you get that idea from someone else, or it was just like, hey, this makes sense? I'm, I'm assuming we always borrow ideas from others. So Yes. So there was a firm that we contacted early on in the process that is a part of the, the company that we used to offshore to, and they had recommended that. They were actually in their first year as well. Um, so we related to them very well at the beginning, and they said, hey, you know, um, you may train them, and you may have Zoom calls and stuff, but they aren't going to retain it all. So having a guide that they can go back to, to kind of refresh their knowledge is very, very important. So that's where we got it from. All right. All right. That's awesome. And that's probably a good uh, a piece of advice there. Just reach out to someone else that's doing this. Uh, not that I'm going to have you know 500 firms call you <laughs> on this, but I assume at the end you may give out uh, contact information. All right. How about other key things? Are there other things that you would recommend from the start? So we, we started the offshoring process in kind of the middle to tail end of COVID. Um, so we actually have gone to India three times over the last year. And I think that that is a very critical piece to the equation is actually spending time and getting to know your team one-on-one. There's a cultural divide, undoubtedly. The first time that we flew into Coimbatore, India, we were like, oh my, this is, <laughs> this is different than Omaha, Nebraska. But being able to relate one-on-one with those individuals, critical. Um, at first, they didn't want to ask us any questions but we got out to lunch with them every single day. We got to pass along some of our traditions at Lutz to them. And by doing that, we were probably four or five days in and we were shocked that, I mean, we were getting invited over to their houses for supper and all sorts of stuff, which when we come back to the US and we expect them to be working with us, we broke down all barriers. And now they're asking questions and they're functioning like a normal employee would. 
Yeah, kind of setting the the corporate culture, you know, uh, across the uh, halfway across the globe, uh, which is which is important. I I have uh, uh, some friends that that uh, own a firm in Atlanta who have an outsourced team in the Philippines, and they just did the same thing. They were just there. It was a bonding experience. They were saying it was just building that relationship, corporate culture that, you know, that, hey, you know, we want to do the same things here with you in the Philippines that we do in the U.S. I think that's making that whole part of the team. Um, and then was there a last any any other key things you would advise on uh, doing ahead of time? Yeah. Another thing is um, when you're building out your team offshore, really finding an individual or a couple of individuals based on the size who are going to lead that team at the local location. Um, Mary's our leader in our India office, and she's been an instrumental part to communicating time off, communicating expectations from our end, but then feeding it to them kind of on a weekly basis. Um, we, We can hold all the Zoom meetings that we want, but we aren't with them every single day. We're not understanding all the things that are, go- that are going on in their personal lives, that having that information live and having a person who's very open with us has been a, a critical piece to the process. Um, that, that sharing of honest information has been important so that we know things that we need to work on and vice versa. All right, that makes a lot of sense. So a couple key questions then that came out of that for me is, um, you know, you've got this team over there. I'm just curious of how that fits into your whole billing structure. Are they, uh, do they have a rate they're billed out at or do you, how does that tie into the, the what you're charging clients? Yeah. So in year one, we match them up with what we would bill out our interns at. And then when we, so we've been at it now our second busy season and as of January 1st of this year, we upped the year two people's rates to our first year staff rates. Okay. So really first year, let's give them the benefit of the doubt for learning, but then they should be functioning like a staff. So let's charge them out at the same rate. Okay. And then you just mentioned it's year two and you have these people now that are at the second level or second rate the billing level. Do you have turnover issues there or, or is it pretty much the same team as last tax season? Yeah, so we started with 15 last year, and through the summer months, we were down to 13. So we had lost two individuals, both for health-related matters. And then we ramped up to 30, and we're back down to 29. So we've had a little bit of turnover, uh, probably four to five people total over the course of a year and a half. Um, And one thing I would add to that is turnover is probably going to be typical to what you see in the U.S., 10 to 12 percent. However, their, their, their reasons for turnover, turnover are very unique. Like a young lady may get married and she goes and moves away with her husband's family. And those processes can happen very quickly. Um, okay. Also, um, a lot of the individuals that are working with us are supporting their elderly parents. So if somebody falls ill, they're likely going to quit work and support their family um, on like a daily basis. So there's just different things to think about. There's probably less people moving around to find a better job per se, because right. this is a really good job to them. Yep. But some of the personal type items can come kind of out of the blue. Okay. And when we look at, at those individuals that we're looking to hire or looking to retain, is there similar issues that we have in the U.S. where we just can't find people? Or is, is the job market tight there like it is here? Or how's that? So we, we focused on India because the job market is plentiful. Okay. <laughs> especially in certain areas of the country where there are university hubs. 
we've really focused on building a young team uh, with those people coming straight out of college. And the amount of accounting graduates coming out of college in India is, is kind of off the charts when you compare it to the U.S. So we've never had a problem staffing. Okay. All right. So I was wondering if, if, if that's a global issue that we're dealing with right now, but it sounds like there is individuals available for or looking to. It must be a prestigious job there then if the, the schools are full with accounting majors. Yeah. And, and that's one of the other things is when we've, when we've traveled there three times, it, it really humbles you and uh, puts things into perspective that we're working together with these folks on a work basis, but we're also partly changing their life from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. A lot of these folks, this is by far and away the best job that they can get um, where they're living. So that brings a lot of satisfaction to us as well that Yes, we're we're supporting people overseas, but we are truly improving their livelihood. So yeah, nice. That's a great benefit as well. All right. Well, that all sounds great. I think this is extremely important because of, of what we just mentioned, what we're doing dealing with here in the US is you know a lack of uh, of people going into accounting. Um, and so the fact that there that accounting grads are plentiful there is important, and and like you said, the the benefits to them and the benefits to you, it's kind of a win win as well. Um, any final thoughts before we on wrapping up this section? I think you shared great information, but anything else you'd like to wrap it up with? Um, I think I've covered most of it. I just continue to recommend um, doing the due diligence on the front end and really having a long term perspective and leaning on other firms that have done this in the past. That's the best way to learn early on so that you you kind of make the checklist and check it all off before you actually start your team. Yeah, well, that's awesome. All right, it's final two question time. The, the one question, I don't think I warned you ahead of time, but uh, maybe I did. Um, I asked this to all the guests is, hey, this is great. And and you personally, you're a hard worker. You're doing, you're heading up this, uh, you, you know, in the tech department, but when you're not working, what do you do for fun? What's your passions outside of work? I love traveling. So I've been to 49 of the 50 states and I think I hit country 30 this past year. So wow, love to get, love to get out of the country, love to get out of the office and explore different areas, especially mountains, love places where there's mountains and water. Mountains. Well, I'm in mountains right now. I'm in Palm Springs, California. I'll be in the Central Coast actually tonight. There are more mountains there, and I'll be near the water there then as well. So I agree with you. Um, and and so then the last question, which is pretty easy, I think you can answer this, is if people want to get a hold of you or find out more information just about you in general or maybe ask you a question about how you're doing this, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So again, my name is Justin Korth. So you can find me information online. Um, email is probably best. Uh, so it's jkorth at lutz.us. But happy to answer any questions that you may have. All right. They'll probably hold you to this. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying we have a million listeners that are all going to email you, but you might get a few emails because this is a pretty cool topic and it sounds like you've dug deep into it. And I think you guys are on the right path the way you're doing this. So I appreciate you sharing this today. For me, this is something I was really looking forward to and, and you didn't disappoint. I am more educated than I was an hour ago. So I, I, I really appreciate you being on today. Great. Thanks so much, Randy. Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find the show notes for today's episode and learn more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. 
Remember to subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting app. And join us next time for more expertise and insights on The Unique CPA. Professionalproductions.net